Hello and welcome to Music of the River City. This is your host, Chris Gooden. Today's episode features an interview with guitarist Jerry Stuckey. Jerry's been playing in bands in and around Vicksburg for almost 40 years. I got to know Jerry through the music ministry at First Baptist Church here in Vicksburg, and we've spent many hours playing together on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. Jerry's got a great ear and great timing and groove, and I've learned a lot from him over the years, mostly through osmosis, just watching him and listening to the way he plays. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from him in this episode. Before we get to the interview, though, it's time for an update on the competition between the Music of the River City podcast and Mighty River Records. If you didn't catch the last two episodes, Mighty River Records owner Dan Edney and I had a top 50 album draft a few months ago. We took turns picking albums that we both love and think will sell. You can check out our selections at Mighty River Records upstairs at the Levy Street Marketplace in downtown Vicksburg. Whoever's picks sell the most wins the competition, and right now it's all tied up 12-12. So head down to Mighty River Records and make your vote for your favorite album by picking one from the Music of the River City bin. And if you want to hear who picked what album, check out the last two episodes of this podcast. My interview with Jerry Stuckey is coming up, but first, music I love, and I think you'll love too. If you love music, then you've no doubt heard this story before. A child is born in the countryside, right around the year 1910, to a poor family with nothing much to their names. Dad leaves and mom raises the kid alone as they roam from town to town. As a racial minority, the deck is stacked against this child from the start. But despite the obstacles, he has something special. He plays the guitar with speed, precision, and a raw ferocity rarely seen before or since. A style that inspires both awe and introspection by the listener. A rambler and a gambler, this poor boy from the countryside earns thousands only to lose it all on cars and parties. Despite never even learning to read or write, this man and his guitar changed music forever. Yes, you've heard this story before, but maybe you haven't. Because this story is not about Robert Johnson or any other blues man from the Mississippi Delta. This story is about French gypsy guitarist Django Reinhardt. Django was born in a gypsy wagon in the countryside of Belgium around the year 1910. Like many European gypsies of that time, his family wound up living outside of Paris. In the late teens and early 20s, Paris was the melting pot of Europe. As northern Italians, western Germans, and Austrians all converged on Paris, they brought their music with them, and the dance halls filled with an amalgamation of waltzes and European folk music that became known as musette. Unfortunately, the dance halls were also filled with nightly violence and bloodletting. For their own safety, the musicians played on an elevated stage, 8 to 10 feet in the air. Before the evening began, the players lugged their instruments up a ladder to the stage, and then the ladder was removed to keep the players safe from the rowdy, knife-toting dancers below. And it was in this Parisian dance hall scene that a teenage Django Reinhardt first made his name. Django's life and music changed forever the first time he heard jazz, especially Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington. He desired nothing more than to be a jazz musician, but there were a few obstacles. First, the guitar was not really considered a jazz instrument in the 1920s and early 30s. Jazz was dominated by cornets, clarinets, piano, bass, and drums. Some early New Orleans jazz bands had banjos, 
but they were used primarily for rhythm playing. The concept of lead guitar really didn't exist in jazz at that time. Second, there wasn't much of a jazz scene to speak of in Paris, though that would soon change. Nevertheless, Django found a brilliant violinist named Stefan Grappelli with a similar interest in jazz, and the two embarked on a series of concerts and recordings with their quintet, and developed a driving, hard-swinging style of string jazz that would later become known as gypsy jazz. The long chromatic runs and blistering solos played by Django on his Selmer guitar would come to define the style, but many of his compositions from that period, like Minor Swing, would ultimately transcend the gypsy jazz style and become jazz standards played for decades to come. As jazz became more and more popular in Europe, so too did Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli. Just as Django's popularity began to peak, though, the world was turned upside down with the start of World War II. The Nazis, who were officially anti-jazz, soon invaded France and set up rule in Paris. Despite the official stance of the Nazi party, jazz was incredibly popular among the German officers, and Django enjoyed some of his greatest musical success in those years. Even as thousands of gypsies were killed in concentration camps, Django's fame as a jazz musician provided him some safety. This was another prolific period for Django, as both German and French audiences desired the escape that his jazz music provided. Django's composition, Nuages, or Clouds, perfectly captured the feeling of this time. Later in life, Django began to work on large-scale compositions for orchestras, still desiring to imitate his hero, Duke Ellington. He never really settled down in life and always stayed close to his gypsy roots, often sleeping outdoors, fishing, and catching hedgehogs, a gypsy delicacy. Django died of a brain hemorrhage at the age of 43, but his influence in music has far outlasted his death. Willie Nelson firmly set his mind to learn the guitar when he first heard Django play. Although Willie never achieved the technical ability of Django, he never lost his love for his childhood hero, releasing an album called Django and Jimmy in 2015, honoring Django and Jimmy Rogers. B.B. King said of Django, I really fell in love with him. That really blew my mind. And from there to this day, those people have been my idols. Carlos Santana, Wes Montgomery, and Jerry Garcia all listed Django as a major influence. The music that Django created was beautiful, energetic, often inspiring and copied by guitarists across many years and countries, but never reproduced. It would not be an overstatement to say that Django's early quintet recordings are a turning point in the history of music, and in particular, of the guitar. That's why I love the music of Django Reinhardt, and I think you'll love it too. If you need a good place to start, check out Minor Swing and then Nuages, and work your way from there. And one more thing. Django was inarguably one of the greatest guitarists who ever lived, despite only having two functional fingers on his left hand. At the age of 19, he was severely burned over most of his body when his gypsy wagon caught on fire. As he fought for his life in a Parisian hospital, it wasn't clear that he would ever even walk again, much less play the guitar. The pinky and ring fingers on his left hand were burned so badly that he never regained much movement in those digits. As he recovered in a hospital bed for over a year, he asked for a guitar to be brought to his room, and he started from scratch relearning the guitar in a completely new way. If you love music, if you love guitar, check out Django.
All right, I'm here with Jerry Stuckey. Jerry, thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, so Jerry, guitar player, occasional singer, right? How'd you get started uh, playing the guitar or in music? Well, it really goes back to my childhood. My um, older brother had a guitar in his room, of course, which was uh, where I wasn't supposed to go. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I would sneak in there, I guess around 10 to 12 years old, I would sneak in there and get his guitar and bang on it and play a little air guitar. And uh, I started that way, kind of. What kind of guitar did he have? Electric guitar? Uh, it was an old acoustic kind of a Western style. Might have been an old Sears and Roebuck or something. Right. Um, acoustic style guitar that he had actually learned a few songs on. Okay. So So at some point, did he actually start teaching you something or how did you start really learning it? Oh no, I just, like I said, I would sneak in there in the shadows when he was gone and then do what I did. And then uh, I did it for a few years, but I actually didn't get my first guitar, I was about 16. Okay. This kind of went on, but my interest in music started about that same time, around 10 or 12. Got interested in music like that. Started buying. What some kind of, of stuff music. was he listening to? Oh, well, back it was uh, ZZ Top was big then. Yeah. Um, of course, that was early seventies. Right. Let's say seventy two, seventy three. Almond Brothers. Some of that stuff I remember. Just it just covered a whole. I kind of branched out and covered a whole lot of stuff in what he had. But I mean, he was. There was David Bowie. It might have been Rolling Stones. Yeah. Uh, so okay. So of, just your kind of classic rock sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So you, you turned 16, you got your own guitar. Is Was that an electric, acoustic? Yeah, I bought an acoustic down at Michelle's okay. and uh, piddled around with it. And it just so happened, I think it was going to the 11th grade. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a friend called Steve Neal that had just moved down from Memphis. And he was going to Vicksburg High. We were going there together. So we took had a guitar class one semester, and the band teacher taught it. Really? Yeah. That's so cool. it was unusual. It was the first time they'd ever had it. Okay. And, uh, so me and Steve signed up, and he knew a little bit of guitar, so he taught me what he knew, and then I kind of went through that program and, and and learned just enough to pass the the course. <laughs> and, uh, okay. But it was kind of cool uh, learning that part of the guitar because all I really wanted to do was just play bar chords and right, you know, the stuff on the radio. So, so was that like? Was he teaching you like? and that kind of thing? We were learning out of the Mel Bay yeah. one, two, three book. Uh, okay. Actually, we were reading the notes and we would, we would learn it and play it in front of him like you probably would a band instrument. Yeah. You'd go in the room, he'd listen to you do your yeah. scales or whatever you would do and he'd grade you on that. So that, that wasn't really interesting to me and it didn't really stick because mm -hmm. I didn't remember any of that <laughs> chord reading. I mean, that right. you know, those, those notes and stuff. Uh, but it did get me my fingers to work and it got my Hands to uh, acclimated to the guitar, technique wise. Technique, right? yeah. forming those chords. Right. So when you first start a young guitarist, it's it's hard to make those chords, make them sound correct, stuff mm -hmm. like that. So that was really where I got started right there, and then that went into the electric guitar, and like I said, Steve was playing some stuff that Funk Forty Nine and some other songs mm -hmm. that I had heard that I liked, and um, okay. he would show me some of that and some uh, cheap tricks, stuff like that. So. I got an electric guitar and uh, kind of banged around the house. Yeah. Found some other friends with common interest. Uh, Jamie Wicker was one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, we played early on, um, played together guitar, and then uh, met other instruments, uh, players. Uh, Bradley Brock was one of them, was a drummer. Okay. Me and Jamie started playing with him at his house. And uh, after a few months of that, we met up with uh, Vance Jensen and Mike Yarbrough, which I went to school with, knew him from junior high school. Mm -hmm. uh, they were together playing a little band. And uh, so if me and Bradley went over one time to play with them, 
actually we did pretty good. We were pretty big in the uh, school scene and uh, had a good following and uh, it went on for a couple of years and we had pretty good success with that band. That was all before and you That graduated? was my first band. Yeah, that was actually right after I graduated. Okay. That band came together and um, so it's kind of always what I wanted to do. I would go place, we'd have these fall balls and I would go to these music festivals and I'd see these people on stage playing these songs that I love that mm -hmm. I was hearing on the radio. Mm -hmm. And one of them was Vance Jensen. I saw him playing at a fall ball, and um, I thought, man, yeah, that's what I want to do. Okay. So turn it all around a few years later, you know, three or four years later, I'm playing with these guys. Okay. You know, so. Uh, and y'all were doing basically like the classic rock, or what now we call classic rock. Yeah, we were doing of... a lot of Beatles. Uh, Van Halen was big at the time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we had a pretty good song repertoire that was at that time. Now, were you cranking out the Eddie Van Halen solos? Uh, Vance was doing all that. Oh, okay. Yeah, Vance was, he'd, like I said, he'd been playing a few years, yeah. so uh, he'd impress me just watching him play, so he was kind of one of the first guitarists that uh, was doing all that stuff that okay. I was noticing, so he was cranking out all that, and I just came in as a rhythm man, uh -huh. and um, that's pretty much what I was known for for a long time, just a, a rhythm man. I was a good okay. rhythm man. I could okay. carry the beats and stuff, yeah. and then... Uh, a couple of years later, I actually played in the fall ball. Okay. It was like one of my dreams. When I like when I was fifteen or sixteen, I was like, "That's what I want to do. I want to be on stage, yeah, playing those songs. Okay, you know, that looks cool. That that's fun. I'm having a good time." Mm -hmm. And um, in '82, we actually did it. I got with a band, some guys. Um, Tony Miles was one of them. Uh, can't remember all the names right now, but uh, we formed a little band just for that to play in the fall ball. Okay, and. Uh, did some Head East. I can't remember all the songs we did. The REO Speedwagon yeah. mm -hmm. and, and different stuff in there. So uh, that was fun. I said that was in 1982. Okay. So that's really dating me, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what kind of what kind of guitar were you playing at that time? Well, I bought an old SG mm -hmm. and, uh, and an old Fender amp. That's a, a 62 SG. Still got the guitar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was playing on that, and then when I started playing with, uh, I realized I needed a better sound. When I started playing with the group, uh, Spoil Rotten, I went out and bought an electric guitar, which is a Les Paul copy. Okay. And I had that guitar for some time played in. And then uh, sometime before I got with the, uh, Magnum was the group that we played at the Fall Ball. Before mm -hmm. I got with them, I had a, a Flying V. Oh, yeah? A Gibson Flying V, yeah. yeah. So that was an interesting guitar. It was a 76 Flying V. Uh, don't still have the guitar. I wish I had it, but yeah. I traded it uh, some years later. Those uh, things are worth some money now, aren't they? Yes. The old flying V? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anything in the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s is, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty, bring some pretty good money. Uh, and that was my first start into rock and roll and getting, and then I would go in and out of music for some amount of years and I got married, I kind of got away from music. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, then I moved away, and I went to, when I moved to Jackson, I met some guys over there and started a group over there and played for a little while. Okay. And, uh, and then I came back and I played with the McAllister brothers. When I moved back to Vicksburg, I remember that they needed a guitarist, and uh, they had a little circuit going where they played Greenville and Tallulah and different other places. Okay. Did uh, that just like a Friday night or a Saturday night? Yeah, it was Friday and Saturday night. They would usually book a weekend, and uh, so I'd play with them. For the weekend, and I did that for about a year, and uh, then I fell back out of it again. Of course, I had three kids, and uh, 
through all that, I kind of that's when I got involved in church. So we okay. really didn't have a guitarist in church. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but it's something I always wanted to do. I wanted to be in the music program at church, but mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't have any of those piano skills or anything. So yeah. eventually, we started adding a little guitar in church. Okay. It was you know it was all traditional, but we started adding a little. We started doing some special music, a little guitar, uh -huh. and then here come the praise and worship music. And yeah. so, uh, praise and worship. We started doing a program of that, and then I started getting involved mm -hmm. with that as we started doing a special praise and worship service okay. at 9.30. Early service. Early service at okay. 9.30, just for praise and worship music. And I didn't actually start that, but the people that did, I came in later at that, and they all kind of faded out, and I ended up in my lap pretty much. Okay, and, what, and approximately uh, what year was that? Boy, I would say that's probably around... Two oh eight or somewhere like okay. that, yeah, okay. yeah, somewhere like oh eight, something like that. So I kind of carried on that what they had started mm -hmm. for a couple more years. Actually, brother Matt came mm -hmm. uh, was during that time we we were without a pastor pretty much right for a lot of that time. Then brother Matt came, we kind of phased that out and went into celebrate recovery. Right, yeah. So that's how I got involved in celebrate recovery. I was actually doing both at one time. We were doing that seven nine thirty praise and worship. Okay. And then we started Celebrate Recovery on Friday night. So just for our Friday. listeners, this is at First Baptist Church, and then Celebrate Recovery is a ministry of First Baptist uh, that's not on Sunday morning. It's a separate uh, time. What did you say? It was on Thursday night at that time? We had it on Friday night Friday at that night. time. Yeah. Right. I think it's R12 now. Right, right. Right. So playing like cover bands, rock and roll, you know, classic rock, that kind of thing, versus getting the music ready for praise and worship, how was it different in terms of getting the songs ready and that kind of thing? Yeah, well, praise and worship it, it kind of speaks to you differently. Songs speak to you, of course. They're alive. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, a lot of it's actual Bible-inspired verses. I say most of it is, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the, especially the uh, hymn songs. So it's a different approach. You'd want to, it depends on what your service was going to be. Mm -hmm. and you kind of gear it towards that, the songs that you may pick. And like I said, a lot of times you would speak, they would just speak to you uh, if you're doing a, if you're happy or praise and you're going to do some happy songs, a joyful song, mm -hmm. a joyful music, you might, and then, of course, some solemn songs or something, you might pick it like that. Whereas rock and roll, you know, you, you, you know, let's do a fast, couple of fast ones and let's, let's slow it down. Maybe the same concept. You want to mix it up a right. little bit. But praise and worship, it just is more meaning to it when you when you sing those songs and, mm -hmm. and when you're when you're selecting them. There's more prayer and thought goes into them because sure. uh, you want a connection with those songs with the audience. And were you pl primarily playing acoustic at that time when doing the praise and worship stuff? Or were yeah, you doing all acoustic. Yeah. Okay. We had then Jamie played drums. Mm -hmm. uh, Jamie Tillerson. We had different people playing bass. Jack played bass sometimes, but it was. And then sometimes it's just me, just basically carrying it with that acoustic guitar. Yeah, that's tough but, to do. Yeah, we had a good group of singers yeah. uh, that, thanks to them, that, that, <laughs> that made it able for me to do it because I, I'm not a great singer, you know. In that well, you do category. sing, though, don't you? Yeah, I do sing, and yeah. I sing a couple of songs with the band. I, I do a, we do some backup stuff like that, we call yeah. it. But, yeah, I do a little bit of singing. Yeah. <laughs> now, so... Tell me about Williams Road and the, and the th band you got going now. How'd that get started? Yeah, actually that got started, I don't know, I, I want to say maybe eight years ago. Uh, okay. I was in one of those things where I was actually doing the church music, but I really wasn't doing secular music. I wasn't mm -hmm. playing anywhere, wasn't doing anything. 
so I, again, I saw Vance, you know, the guy I was talking about earlier that got, kind of got started playing with the first band in. He'd come out a couple times and say, hey, we got a band, you know, we'd like for you to play, come by and play. So maybe after the third time, you know, he asked me, I got his number. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And uh, so that's how I got, and Vance was playing with Barry, and they had a, a drummer, Barry Bingham, and then they had a drummer at that time and a lead singer. So uh, I come in as a second guitarist. Okay. And uh, I forget what, I think it was called uh, Rocker Box at that time. And they had all their songs, all, they had a lot of original songs and stuff. So I just kind of learned their songs okay. and just kind of give them more feel another guitar player. Yeah. So uh, that kind of evolved at different stages. The lead singer would leave it and we would change the songs up. And then at some point, maybe four or five years ago, Vance quit, decided he, you know, he's going had enough of that one. So he went, went on and uh, me and Barry continued it as a three piece. Okay. With, with, and have changed over the years, basically drummers. And now we have Kenny Fields and Patty Fields. She's singing with us, and uh, Barry's playing bass, of course. And okay. So we've got a pretty tight little knit thing. Okay. Uh, so how do you like being uh, the only guitarist in a band like that versus having two guitars? That's a good question. Yeah. At first, it was looks like Vance was doing most of the lead work, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been a lead man, but I'm not like a flashy show lead man. Right. You know, doing a lot of lead. So for me, I had to step up my game. And so it's like, now, okay, I'm doing all the lead. <laughs> and all the rhythm, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. So uh, it's real different. Kind of like a ZZ Top format, you know, and you, or a Rush format. you got three people there, and you're trying to put out a lot of music. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is a challenge to that. I like it in the sense that it's real simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? right. If me and Barry can get together and, and it works good, mm-hmm. uh, but I also, enough said, I do like playing with another guitarist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just because it feels so much, and then a lot of the songs you listen to, Black Crows or Rolling Stones, there's two or three guitars, right? You know, in the mix, right? So there's always a guitar carrying the song and when the lead. So a lot of times when you particular song you do and you come out of that rhythm you're doing all lead it can leave a little hollow yeah so it's good to have that other guitar in there and, right uh, and really something i love to play is some organ in there too yeah i love that sound too yeah i mean that, that's to me and that's why i love the allman brothers sound mm-hmm. they had it covered right yeah see i love the uh booker t and the mgs yeah throw a little horn in there yeah, I yeah. Say, if you can throw a little horn or two in there yeah. and i think that's why the chill has Mm-hmm. Done so good because they've got a little bit of all that, mm-hmm. and uh, it carries it well. Yeah, that's cool. Do you use any kind of uh, like effects or anything to help fill out your sound or tone like that when you're playing? I do use a Bose DS1 distortion, um, and I have a course, a Bose course I use pretty good. Okay. Sometimes I use sustainer, like during a lead or something, uh-huh. and um, that's about it. A, a few songs uh, call for a wah pedal, but I'm kind of limited on that. I've been experimenting with it. Uh, mm-hmm. I know nowadays the big pedal board multi-effect yeah. uh, program stuff's real big, so uh, yeah. I haven't went that far yet. So I guess I'm an old uh, analog man. <laughs> Just plug it straight into the front of the amp and go with it, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's there's something to be said for simplicity for sure. Right. Yeah, the the so you don't you don't do like any kind of delay pedals or anything like that to give you that echo sound or any of that kind of stuff. No, but that's actually the next pedal I was going to buy is a delay. I've been, uh, 
I've been delaying doing that too. So. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but by the time you start buying all those different pedals, you can spend more than your guitar on that yes, stuff. Yes, yeah. You can count up, you know, at least $100 pedal there, so you can get yeah. five or six pedals going. Yeah. So what kind of rig are you playing through nowadays? Actually, I just bought a new Fender uh, Bluesman. It's a 40-watt yep. tube uh, with 112 in it. Okay. It's got three channels. Really a sweet amp. Of course, you can't go wrong with Fender. Yeah. So. Uh, and you playing your Les Paul through there? Yes. Yeah, Les Paul is pretty much my main guitar. So, uh, so what's the what are the what are the future plans for Williams Road? Y'all got anything lined up or getting some things lined up? Don't know. We need to be. Um, mm -hmm. Our practice schedules. You know, we're off and on so much. So mm -hmm. we may go two or three weeks without a practice. So, Sometimes we hit it once a month. That's kind of hard to you know get it together. But right. we're, we're ready. We're, we're poised. But yeah, we're we need to get out before the next lockdown comes up. Anyway, <laughs> the next lockdown. Come on now. Let's hope not. Uh, let's hope not. And and in church you you usually play acoustic, right? So yes, I always play. Yeah. So wh what do you do? You have a uh, do you prefer one over the other, or you may? How do you feel about like? Playing rhythm on acoustic versus playing rhythm on electric, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. How do you approach those two things? Yeah, that's a good question too. The, the problem is I don't play the acoustic that much. Yeah. So you know, it's just it's, I play it at Sunday at church, and uh, it's the bar coring they're holding it down. You know. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It can uh, get to your fingers a bit <laughs> more. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. But it just the sound though is. There's no comparison to sound. I've tried acoustic pedals that yeah. try to change your electric to acoustic, and there's no way to get that really right. acoustic sound. So it just fills the room up so much better. So mm -hmm. usually like to play as many open chords uh, right. as possible and stay away from those bar chords in church. But right. some of those flats. It's, yeah, it's, of course, yeah. We're going from <laughs> E flat to F to F sharp. Yeah, you yeah right, you right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just gotta right hit them where you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah that that's cool. Um, and you got a you got a Takamini acoustic. How do you like that? How's that worked for you over the years? I like that. It's been a sweet guitar. Um, I got that guitar probably 15 years ago. Takamini was taking everything by a storm mm -hmm. at that time. You know, all country. You know, Garth yeah. Brooks. Everybody had a Takamini. Yeah, and some of them still play it to this yeah. day. Until Taylor came along, Taylor kind of took a lot of that market. Mm -hmm. um, but I love the Takanimi. Uh, it's a well-made guitar, um, good voice to it. Yeah, I think it works well in a mix with the other instruments because it's mm -hmm. not got a nice tight sound to it. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let me back up a little bit because we kind of skipped over this. But uh, you know, you talked about taking the the class when you really got down and started started learning your instrument. What was your approach in terms of, because I know now, you know, you, you know the scales and all these modes and stuff like that. Did you dive into that stuff early on or is, how did you really start, get started learning to play rock and roll or all the different things that you, you play? Yeah, it was all by ear mm -hmm. and not even until recently, and I hate to say that because I'm, I'm at my age is I've really <laughs> even looked into the scales and yeah. a lot of that. It's like. Music theory is just something I do not want to you know, <laughs> attempt. Yeah. I, you know, what I've looked at and done is just like, okay, that's taking the fun out of it. So, yeah. Yeah. so I've always been a, a man by ear. Like I said, that's what I listened to when I was younger. I just 
you know, I can go down the road, I can hear some, oh, he's playing an A, and that's, you know, that's the thing. I kind of put the song together. Okay. So do you have perfect pitch? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> so we say, you can hear it and say it's an A. Oh, no. But I mean, no. well, you when you play it enough, yeah. and you 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 kind of you can kind of hear yeah. that, you know. You may not be far off. Right. You know, you, sometimes a lot of people, they're, they're dropping down now to, yeah. you know, drop to E or something. So, right. But anyway, you can... You can hear a song and you yeah. can pretty much because the voicings, the chord voicings have their own sort of sound too. You know, that, yeah, those shapes. So. Yeah. So in a lot of your, you know, when you listen to your bands, even way back then, when like, like ACDC, mm-hmm. then they were, you know, they're pretty much using those same chords. You know, we're in D, we're going to be so it's yeah. You, know, you didn't have it about four or five chords there. You're going to figure it out pretty quick. Yeah. How it starts. You know, you get your root note. Right. Uh, so it was all just by ear and like what I wanted to play. Mm-hmm. It might not have been the right approach. You mm-hmm. know, I should have probably learned more when I was younger. It's a lot of people that learn to play that way. Though. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Eric Clapton and on down. Just playing by what they heard. Yeah, and it's been fun, and yeah. uh, that's how I play mostly by feel and instinct, and I'm, I'm not one of those articulate players that want to play note for note or exactly like the record. Right. I don't want to try to emulate what they did. Yeah. Exactly, Just, because that was their interpretation. Yeah. And I notice a lot of bands, and the bands I like to listen to live, uh, they'll take their song and they'll they'll go somewhere else with it. Yeah. How, you know, unless it's particular lead that's like um, life in the fast lane that's the same every time, yeah. you know. Yeah. But you list a lot of groups you go listen to when they improvise on those or in that right. in that kind of range. So So how much do you like, you know, like with Williams Road or some of the other bands that you play with, how much improvisation do you do? Do you get a chance to do that kind of thing much or is it mostly sticking to the 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 script of how these how the songs are gonna play out. Well, we do in 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 a sense as long as we're all together there. But we but in the leads particularly, like being the only you know mm-hmm. lead man, I can take a little liberty uh, there uh, as long as we stay in the structure of the song. And, and sometimes we'll stretch a song out if it's going good and the groove's <laughs> good. You know, we may we may go on for another minute or two there until we come together to end that song. So, okay. uh, but I like that liberty. You know, we play some creative stuff, and although it's that song, but mm-hmm. we're going to, you know, it may go into something else. Because uh, we like to extend the songs out a little bit and do more than, especially, like I say, if the song's going good and it's a good mix song, yeah. it's not just that little two and a half, three minute song that's going to end like right. at the same time. Oh, we'll take a little liberty with it and stretch it out. Yeah. Three minutes goes by too quick when you're having fun it does. with a song. Yeah. It does. We have some good songs that are short. And I was like, well, I don't know, I wish that song was longer. Yeah. You know, that's a, Make it longer. a short song. Yeah. So we do that when we can. You know, we throw in another course or a lot of our songs that we add two leads, you know, we put a lead again. So let's do another lead at the end. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so that's kind of the liberties you can take right. and the fun you can have. And again, I, I don't uh, feel like I have to play it just like Steve Miller. Or, sure, yeah. You guys uh, played at Riverfest a few years ago, didn't you? We did. That was interesting. That was our really when we broke into it as a three piece mm-hmm. after Vance had left. We had played a few places with, with the other band when I started with them. They had a few gigs, and uh, so as we formed as a three piece, this promotion came up that they had a uh, battle of the bands mm-hmm. for Riverfest, and whoever won got to 
play at the main stage. Mm-hmm. Riverfest got to open up that night, that Saturday night. So we entered that. We entered it and went under the name Propellerhead. <laughs> Okay. Where did where'd that name come uh, from? Actually, I saw that name on the internet, and it was and it was advertising for a boat propeller, and it was a face with a propeller head. I said, I like that. You know, it, it was different. Yeah. And we're like, we needed a name because you never can find the perfect name for a band you settle on. It was like I was signing up to we had to have a band name. Uh-huh. So I put down propeller head, and. Um, Later on, I Googled it and found out there was a band over in uh, United Kingdom named Propeller Head. Yeah. So we dropped it, and uh, we came up with Williams Road. And the reason we came up with Williams Road, that's actually the street Barry lives on. Okay. So that was an easy... Yeah. He said, what about Williams? I said, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's, we didn't bid enough band names. But, uh, so Propeller Head won the competition. So what song did y'all do to, to uh, beat out the we competition? We did several songs. Uh, we did some Mary Smith. We did uh, Credence. We probably made seven or eight songs. Oh wow! Yeah, it was. It was. I think we did thirty minutes. Maybe, oh, okay. Maybe forty-five minutes. Each band did. Yeah. I think there was three or four bands there. I can't remember. Do you remember any of the specific songs you did? Born in the Bayou, I imagine, was one of them we did. Yeah. I can't remember the uh, Aerosmith song we were doing at that time. We we've changed our song list up so much. I mean, yeah. we 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 probably know a hundred songs, but. We stick to thirty or forty. We just keep rotating. We right. drop ten that, for some reason, doesn't sound great, or or you know, we don't think the vocals are quite there on it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, some of them is lacking that extra guitar. It's just not full enough. So mm-hmm. we we keep changing, evolving, trying new songs and to work them into our set and mix. Right. So. But anyway, yeah, we won that and ended up playing it. Uh, opened up for Riverfest. That was probably five years ago. Right. Yeah. Like that, yeah. So. What was that like getting to play on the main stage? I mean, was that the biggest crowd you'd played in front of before? No, it actually wasn't. And the crowd wasn't that big because we played early before yeah. it ever got dark. Oh, we okay. should actually open for the... We kind of opened for the day. We didn't actually open for the main right. uh, people. I okay. think it might have been a country act that year. Okay. Which would have been great. But mm. I think the chill opened for them. Mm-hmm. So anyway... It was interesting. I mean, it was it was a good setup. It was a nice size stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at the end of the mall. Actually, first time I'd probably been there, let alone played there too. So, uh, but it was it was a good experience. Okay, that's yeah, cool. It was. Um, so, what is your favorite like venue type of venue to play? Well, you know, I've actually I actually like playing outside. To tell you the truth, mm-hmm. uh, the times that I've played outside. We've had a good sound mix and everything, but you don't have to worry about your, your volume so much. You right. Can, you can let your amp mm-hmm. breathe. You, yeah. you can run it up there so you can actually, you know, hear it. Of course, you got the acoustic drums. They can mm. be as loud as they want. Yeah. Uh, so when you start getting into venues, the rooms and stuff, it's they're they're never so big small. Yeah. yeah. They're so small and they're, you've got to turn down. you got to adjust everything. Let's say if you play at the biscuit company. Yeah. Or if you're playing at Levi's, you know, mm-hmm. Levi's tends to be loud for some reason. They always want you to turn it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it depends on the, the room again. Now, yeah. I tell you, we played in the, the old Armory building, which is now the city owns it for something down there. But those way back in the day, mm-hmm. we were spoiled right. We played the Armory building, which was a metal hanger mm-hmm. uh, that had great acoustics. Really? Great acoustics. Uh, you could sit up in the back, and, you, I mean, it would just... <laughs> go across the ceiling and uh, yeah. you could hear it as well at the door I mean it's just like in stereo or something. but that was a good building to play in so 
Well, anything else uh, you kind of want to mention or talk about? I mean, I'm glad to see live music is back. A lot of venues are opening up. Just going to see, it's exciting just to go see some live music, some acts again, and uh, some shows. Uh, went and saw uh, Trudesky Trucks. Oh, yeah. How was that? That was real good. Real uh-huh. good. Yeah, they have the whole horn section and uh, organ and all that, right? Well, it was funny. This time they didn't. They oh, had really? a small version band. It looked oh. like some new members. And uh, so I don't know if you know, some of these groups are putting you know, different bands together at different times. Mm-hmm. But the first time I saw them, they actually had the full band. They had two drummers, the horns, mm-hmm. uh, the backup singers. Of course, they had the organ. They had the essentials, let's say that. Yeah. 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 Didn't have the horns, but they did right. have the organ and the... Uh, bass and drum but it's always good to watch uh. mm-hmm. okay well cool uh, well I appreciate you being on the show I've enjoyed catching up with you yeah well thanks for having me enjoyed it thanks for listening to this week's episode of music of the river city It was a lot of fun to catch up with Jerry, and I highly recommend that you get out and see him the next time his band plays here in town. If you have questions, comments, or know someone who would like to be featured on the podcast, please contact me at musicoftherivercity at yahoo.com. Follow Music of the River City on Facebook to get updates when new episodes come out. And it really helps the show if you subscribe to Music of the River City on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple, Spotify, or CastBox. Thanks for listening to Music of the River City.